Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Hey everyone, after a short hiatus, we are back and decided to start with something a little different. There are so many inspiring, hilarious audition, maybe I should call them horror stories, that many of my guests have shared that I wanted to put together in sort of a best of compilation situation because I think as I went back and listened to them, not only are they hilarious, they are awe-inspiring because every one of these people, after the story they have shared, got up and did it again. And I think that all artists are so brave to keep putting themselves out there and making themselves vulnerable. But I realize that that just translates to all of us, no matter what career path we're on. There are many obstacles and hurdles in our way. And the trick is not how to handle those highs, but how do we get back up on the horse when these things really throw us As I looked back at our huge catalog of audition stories, I think I've chosen some of the best ones. There are many, many more, and I will continue to pepper the next season of podcasts with some of these at different times because they will make you laugh so hard and inspire you just as hard. So enjoy. first one that we're going to share is Molly Ringwald, who tells one of the best audition stories I've ever heard about a film that she was auditioning for to star in with Matthew Broderick. So here's Molly Ringwald. Get ready. Some people I know just refuse to audition, won't do it, and then they just don't get parts or, you know. And I continue to do it because I think if you are an actor, if you call yourself an actor, it's part of it. You mm-hmm. should, you 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 know, you do it. But yeah, there's been horrible um, auditions that I've done. And in, in fact, a really bad audition I I had to do um, with Matthew Broderick, and it was after we were going to do that movie together. And so then it was really kind of humiliating to be the one that was auditioning, and it was this French director and. And then the script was really funny, I thought. It was called, like, Welcome to Buzzsaw or something. Uh-huh. And, it, and it was written by somebody you might actually know. It was, it was Matthew's friend, Josh Kenny? Golden. Oh, Josh. Okay. And so this this French director sort of took it over and decided that he wanted to rewrite. And there there was 
there was something that they decided that they wanted to do in in the audition. And I was already thrown because my ego was just going crazy that I was in this position at all. And then he said, oh, I thought it would be really fun. Or I thought it would be uh, very funny if uh, if uh, right now uh, he, he takes the, the – he puts like a dog – color around your your neck and he he pulls you like pulls you like you're like a, a dog you know it's uh and, and I was listening to him just like oh yeah yeah I mean okay yeah sure it sounds interesting just in in theory right and then I look over and and Matthew has this collar and he just looks like like so uncomfortable like and I'm just looking at him and I felt like I like our eyes connected and I'm just like, don't do this, you know. And I, and, and then another part of me is like, you should just get up and walk out right, right. now. You right. should just walk out. And then the other part of me is going, but you're an actor, you know, don't. Do, and I just had this the millions of thoughts just racing through my brain as this collar was being put <laughs> on my neck. Oh, my God. And then I think like I could not. I couldn't read. I couldn't think. I couldn't. I didn't know what my name was. Like all I could think about was, I have to get out of this room right now. I'm going. I'm or, or I'm going to like hyperventilate right. or something. Right. As you're sitting there. Yeah. As I'm sitting there. And needless to say, I d- I did not get that part. <laughs> Many of you might already know this, but when you finish graduate school as an actor. There are these massive auditions. It's like a, it's like think of a convention center. Hundreds and hundreds of young actors getting to do an audition for the regional theaters from all over the United States. And much like an open casting call. And on this particular interview with Roger Bart, who you know from a huge Broadway resume, from Disaster, the musical, to the producers. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, Desperate Housewives, among others on television. He shares with us his Urta audition story. They like me. I think they're swell. Isn't it remarkable how things turn out so well? Way back when, when I graduated college, which was 84, 85, we had these things called Urtas. And Urtas were basically uh, an audition a lot of people fresh out of college went to to uh, let regional theaters sort of uh, become uh, aware of you. Right. A meet and greet of your talent. And you get to do the dreaded monologue. And now I was never a good monologuist. And actually to this day, I think a lot of actors probably aren't good monologuists because most of the time actors are not asked to stand alone and right. on stage and do speeches it really right. just is unusual so and there were about three or three or four panelists there and they um, take copious notes during the audition and I did my monologues and then this is the kind of cowardly part on their part you about a week later you get their scribble um, on their uh, pieces of paper in the mail with their response to you and either three or four of them all of them said in varying degrees of uh, politeness get out do yourself a favor and do us a favor and do showbiz a favor and, and retire now at the precious age of 22. Don't even bother. You have no talent. That was my one of my first big auditions. So those of you out there, don't be deterred by the first times that you go out and you sort of stumble because I stumbled big time and I knew who I was already. So it didn't it – didn't, I kind of ripped them up and thought, eh, you know, fuck them. Not bad. 
not bad at all. I wonder if it will snow tonight. So the great Noah Emmerich from FX's The Americans shares his story of how he got the job. You know, I did this audition, uh, whatever you call it, audition. I mean, it's yes. a polite term, it's chemistry, but it's really just an audition right. where you make a tape. They were filming it so that the uh, network brass in California could look at it, which is actually the kinder version. Sometimes you have to go into a room with all the people there no, watching you. This is sort of private see them. with the director and the cast and just making this little chemistry read. And I did it, and a couple of the executives were there. And there, everyone was like, this is great. You know, it's formality. Welcome to the show. This is so great. We can't wait to start. And then oh they gosh. called me up the next day and they said, so we have a little bit of an issue, which is that the sound didn't record on your tape. So can you come back and do it again? That's like, I mean, I've never had a call like that in my entire career that you do an audition, that it goes so well that everyone says, great, you got it. Just make it form, you know, send it to L.A. And then they call back and say, you know what? We forgot to press record <laughs> oh on the audio track. So I went back and they recorded. In fact, when I, when I went back, I, I I played a little prank, which was when I started doing it. I went, it won't work on radio, but I was like. <laughs> okay, just for listeners, <laughs> he's moving his mouth and not making sound. So I did the whole first scene like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what got me the job. That's hilarious. Uh, Have you had to audition again for anything in any form oh, yeah. since the show? All the time. You I do? Mean, I, I, mean, I mean, it depends. Yeah. I don't think auditioning ever stops. If you're interested in stretching beyond how you're already perceived. I mean, it's easier to not audition for the roles that you've already played. But yeah. if I want to do something, a comedic or, a, you know, a, a character that they haven't seen me play before, right. and I say, well, how can he do that? We need to see it. And I understand that. But other than that, I mean, I have no problem. I understand auditioning completely. It's a mistake to take it as a reflection of people's respect for you or their embrace of you or their belief in you even. As a director myself, if I wanted to cast you far from anything I'd ever seen you do before, right. I would just be curious to see how you fit in, just for both of our sakes. Well, why can't it just be enough that I say I can? <laughs> you have to own your own process and not not have it be vulnerable to other people's process. As weird as that sounds, you know. So the truth is, yes, you, I've had many auditions where I go into the room and the person is barely, doesn't even look at you. They're reading or their Woody mail. Woody Allen, literally. Have you ever read for him? I have read for Woody Allen once. He's quite often... Under the table, <laughs> right? Or like kind of his back half right. turned to you right. and you're like, can he's, he see he's me? Very awkward. I'm sorry, is he? And yeah. it's so painful that you do actually just yeah. want to take care of him and be yeah. like, you know what, Let's don't worry about this. How can I help? How can I help right. you? I have to say, I've done some casting on The Americans Under and the table. it is excruciating. Knowing the state of mind of yes. the actors coming in, I find it excruciatingly hard to be on the other side of the table. I don't want to be in that seat. I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm, right. I'm an actor. Like I, 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 and, and yet you do only have 45 minutes to see 12 people. So have you, you watched anyone just completely bomb? Like no. unravel? <laughs> There's been some close calls. The idea is you want them to be re- everyone. It's, it's, it's the paradox of auditioning is that the best work comes from a relaxed, playful, free spirit. Right. And, you know, that doesn't happen when you have 
a minute and 15 seconds to show them your stuff. And there's five people sitting behind a desk and you're on. It's just the most awkward, awful circumstance. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up. Dan Fogler of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them fame shares his story of how he went from really not working in the way that he wanted to be working for quite a while to finding himself in the middle of the epic J.K. Rowling film. Listen up. I definitely got the golden ticket. Mm -hmm. I won the lottery. Do you feel I, uh, that now because you're in this J.K. Rowling movie, or you felt that? Well, all because along, I was, I, I thought that in order to even get into the fucking door to have an audition for this, where I was at a year ago, I would have to have done this specific movie in order to get to that movie, in right. order to get to the next movie, in right. order to even dream about getting yeah, into yeah, the yeah. door with the director. So how did this happen? I auditioned, and thank God, I just was in a, a philosophical and an emotional state. Having just had my kid, you realize, oh, that's why I'm killing myself to put food on the table. So then it doesn't feel much like killing yourself anymore. You know, you, you just, you have more strength, you have more energy. You find it somewhere. And... Um, really, I'm just really tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that, I love that uh, it works that way for you. For auditions. Yes. You find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, there's a hunger in that you, way again. You, and, and there's a huge emotional well that opens up when your kid is born that now, oh my God, you know, basically as an actor, your spectrum just grows. So when you audition for this kind of film, do they let you see the script? They gave me like three scenes to look at. And I went in there and I, and I was like, oh, wow, this takes, this is like, me basically playing my great grandfather, you know, who Jacob, who, yeah, right, who, who was a baker on the Lower East Side. Are you on tape the first time? Are you reading for David Yates? Yeah. You're on tape. I was ta- on tape in New York for the New York casting director, and uh, I, I put together like this. I was like, "Whoa, shit, J.K. Rowling! Oh my yeah. god, I gotta." Even I've heard of her. I know her. Yes, I have to get my act together here, <laughs> and I, I put together like a costume. I love which it. I thought would work. Yeah, it's nothing like what I wear. <laughs> what you're wearing in the film. But I, I found this amazing hat. It was like a patchwork like hat. I was like, this is very much in the Wizarding World. I had suspenders. I had cut off gloves. You know, they saw that and they were like, oh, okay, this guy cares. Great, Barnum. What's happening? <laughs> I don't know. What was the, yeah, I was like newsies. <laughs> I was doing newsies. At least you made the effort. But I made the effort. Totally. I came in there. I made a choice. Yes. And, I, and I think they saw that I was incredibly close, and this character was just in my blood. But did I, you see your competition? Well, I did afterward. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, it was everyone in the world. Like, like who? Like who else? So, like, I didn't hear anything after that audition. I was like, okay, that was nice. Yes, I can return that <laughs> yes. hat to Abracadabra. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then everybody and their grandmother, you know, did Krasinski, uh, you know, I think, you know, Jack Black, all everyone in the world. Yeah. Josh Gad, like... But, like, all different shapes and sizes. I guess it was uh, actors that could do funny but also uh, have a heart. David Yates' wife, Yvonne, David was like, I really like him, (laughs) you know? (laughs) 
But uh, you know, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I have to see everybody else. Yes. But Yvonne, his wife, saw the tape and was just like, "This is the guy. Hmm. You have to." And thank God for her Yvonne. tugging on his yeah. sleeve every darling. night, going, "That's the guy, darling." Darling, did you see? Wake up. Yeah, and they they circled back to me. Thank God. So I went out to L.A. and auditioned with him. Did you wear the hat? I brought the whole damn outfit again. Because <laughs> you're supposed to wear the same thing to the exactly. callback so they know who you are. <laughs> I did, man, I did. Oh, it was ridiculous. Okay. I was like, he was like, uh, maybe not the hat, you know. And then uh, I got rid of the hat. Of course. What <laughs> yeah. hat? Oh, my God, is this on? Suspenders, maybe. But the suspenders, they were the kind that kept on, like, on clicking and flipping up. So that Ow. was it. Ow. Oh, right in the left eye. Oh. Sorry, Mr. Yates. Yeah. But I got out of that audition, and I was like, damn, I nailed that. He really, I was, he, he was wiping away a tear. I, in my, it. In my, I am Jacob Kowalski. It said it just in that voice. Yeah. I am. I am Jacob Kowalski. I am Jacob Kowalski. <laughs> did you do it as Pacino? I did. The first time I did it, I walked in, and I was like, get out of the fucking way. I'm a, I'm a baker. I'm making all sorts of pastries for you. So my guess is you didn't do Pacino at your David Yates audition no. for, right. Thanks uh, for bringing me Fantastic Beasts, but you did do something special. I did. He, 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 I obviously did because then they brought me out to London oh and they God. did then screen tests. you go to tests. London and you could do screen, like makeup and the whole thing and they costume. Did, yeah, and they, yes, they did screen tests with, I, I think I even brought my costume to that screen <laughs> test. <laughs> I think hat. I did. The hat. Like, that hat's going to be in the Smithsonian, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> and, uh, Dad Fogler wing. And that's when I met Reddy, Reddy Edmaine. Reddy Edmaine, which <laughs> all his good friends call. You're so inside. I am. Reddy Edmaine. Good old Reddy. Eddie Redmaine. And the cast is delicious. I saw the film. Did you read Harry Potter stuff? I saw all the movies. And I never read those books. They're, they're really heavy. They're big. Yeah. Even your Kindle gets heavier. This is a huge movie. Yeah. You shoot in London. Is it all green screen? You have elaborate sets. And then just green screen in the places where they absolutely need it. So they're they're basically doing their best to keep you in this in the moment. And you know, you don't have to use your imagination for much at all. Putting the, the room together, it's there. But like if Eddie is climbing into a suitcase, yeah, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. going into it, which I think you observe him doing. Yeah. How do they do that? That's magic. It's actual magic. It's actual magic. And wizardry. They have a jar. It's like a glowing magical jar of dust. So it's like right. fair, fair, fairy dust, I Does guess. Does J.K. throw it at you? J.K. is the one who knows the combination for the safe that has the jar. They go pull out the jar, and they take a scoop. Totally. And they put it on the scenes. And that's how it works. The magic happens when she throws the fairy dust on you. Pretty much. It's not so much your talent and your lifelong everything that brought you to this moment. It's just that. <laughs> now, is she like, is she like, you know, like in the witness protect, like when those people are on like testifying and so you just hear their voice and there's like <clears throat> their faces are all pixelated. Yeah. Is she on set and like accessible and. First of all, to answer your question, yeah. there's no bottom to the suitcase. There was a hole in the ground. Okay. That's how it came out. 
<laughs> I loved. I like thought that? it was very cool. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, no, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing moment when he he's like perfectly. Because I've tried timed. that like a million times, and I can never like Fit. walk into the suitcase in quite that way. Yeah, they really perfected it. They put stairs and everything down there. There's like a suitcase guy. Yeah. Just a guy on set just for the suitcase. Oh yeah, yeah. For making, sure. Making it look right. Was this the biggest movie you've ever been in? This is the biggest movie that John Voight has ever been in. Okay, so yeah. that that gives us context. Yeah. How will you go back now? Like, how do you live a normal life now once that's been your life? How am I doing? Am I okay? Do I seem normal? It was weird when, like, your people came in and they were carrying you, like, kind of, like, on this weird throne. Yeah, it's like... Um, <laughs> Golden throne? Chalice. Yeah. yeah have you ever like... seen... Uh, I wanted them to model it after. Model it. I wanted them to model it. La- model. Model it, it after. Model it after. Yeah. The um, Egyptian king from the movie Three Hundred. That's kind of what it looked like to me, yeah. and I didn't even see that movie or even know what you're talking about. But that's what it looks <laughs> but like. But that's what it evokes. Give us one or two, one or two moments that you'll never forget from making that movie. Oh my god. Starting with when you found out you got it. Okay, so when I found out I got it, it was a beautiful moment. Because when I did my screen test, they said, okay, so we're probably going to do a million more screen tests. And I was like, okay. With me? No, yeah. Oh, not with or me. somebody? Got it. <laughs> okay. So they said, if you hear, you're going to be coming back to London for another screen test. So I was like, okay. So I'm at Comic-Con last year, and I have my boxes of Brooklyn Gladiator, which is my my, my little my novel. little yeah, my little comic book that I've been working on. The side. on. <laughs> What's your reason for being here, Dan? My little comic book. Right. So I'm like like schwitzing, right. right. pulling these boxes through this like s- swimming upstream through costumed sweaty people. Who I love. But at that moment I'm like, get out of my way. This is what's happened. And I get a call. Yeah. And I'm like the hunchback in Notre Dame, and I pick up the phone, and it's my manager uh, who says, hey, where are you right now? And I go, I'm uh, I'm trying to make my way through Comic-Con right now. And they're like, oh. I'm peddling my wares. Yeah. They said, guess what? Um, Comic-Con's going to be a lot different next year. And then I suddenly started hearing the Superman theme. It was all boop, 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 boop. And then I started, my posture got better, and then a single tear came down my eye, and it, it went blink, and I actually heard the blink. And then I just started handing out comic books going, who wants Brooklyn Gladiator for free? A magic form, take me to the final round. A magic fort. I barely lifted off the ground. A magic fort. I do it without making a sound. Continuing with more American audition horror stories, the beloved Asif Manvi that we all know from Jon Stewart's The Daily Show was an actor bumming around, doing some regional theater, some small parts on television shows, and going through a heartbreak when he got the call that it was now or never to go audition for a segment on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Wasn't sure if he was going to go. Decided to. We're glad he did. Here's Asif. I was not a particularly political actor, whatever that means, Yeah. before The Daily Show. I 
was a working actor. I basically was just, I was doing, you know, I had a nice little career yes. going on, like regional theater and yes. plays. And, and getting parts on TV parts shows. On TV and, and movies and whatever. Yeah. And it was all very good. And then I got this audition for The Daily Show and I got it. And uh, it's actually all in my book. You can read about oh, it. Oh, I've read it. I you can have, tell the yeah. entire story okay, right good, now. Yeah, good, good. You were very sad about a girlfriend. Yes. You were, oh, I you think do. I you might know it. which you girlfriend do. it is. I think you do, yes. Because uh, I think I know her and she was your girlfriend when we worked together. Right, that's right. And she was engaged. Yes. And you were blue. And I was blue and I was writing this letter and then I got this call. To her. To her. Even though she was engaged. I know. Maybe it was, married. It was sad. It was sad. It kind of Did you send it? I did send it, mm, but yeah. I, I sent it for me. Sure. You know, I had to do it. You sent it to yourself. I sent it to <laughs> And I have it. I have the letter right I sent here. it to you. I got just it. Just to like read, and then you never forwarded it. I didn't. I think that it gave me a kind of, um, can I swear on here? Yes. Yeah, it gave me a kind this of. This is never going to go anywhere. <laughs> this is just you and me talking. Don't worry I about it. I think I gave it a sort of, it, it gave my audition, and this is something for all you young actors out there, when you don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You often give your best performance. You know this, right? How do you You've manufacture had... that? Though? Yes, that's exactly. The, that's right? the trick. So how do you get that? Like, I don't give a fuck when you cannot pay your rent, right? Without and this job, exactly. So it's like a it, question of like, how do you like not come in there desperate and needy, which is what you are, yeah, and pretend, you know. But but luckily, because of this situation where I was writing this letter and you feeling blue. I really didn't give a fuck. Were you a fan? Did you watch The Daily yeah, Show? Yeah, 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 I did. Okay. I did. But I didn't think in for one instance that I was going to get this part. Right. I was doing it as like a sort of like way to like get out of my head, mm. you know? Get and off that park bench. Get off that, exactly. So I was like, I'm just going to go In front of her house. <laughs> Before the cops came. How do you know that? Um, I read the book. Um, so anyway, I go down there and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll just do this, whatever. It'll be another audition. And then I booked it. Like right there. And then I was on the show. And then my life kind of changed overnight. Tell us how. Well, John Stewart, lovely man. Is he all that? He is great. I love John. And is he I, all that? No, he is. <laughs> I mean. Let's keep editing that. Is he all that? Is he all that? Is he all that? Um, Just between you and me. Between you and me. Is he all? No, he's he was, look, I owe the whole thing to him. He was like. I'm hiring you. You're on the show. This is it. You're on tonight. And I was on that night. And what was the first thing you had to do? It was about the uh, war in um, the Hezbollah-Israeli war in the Middle East. And it was like this very, I think it was still, I'm still, I still feel like it was one of the best pieces I ever did on the show. It was one of those, it was written, you know, before I got there. Right. And it was just kind of powerful and Pointed. I'm, so I'm that's naive. The, Is there right. a teleprompter? So like, how did you do that? Thing. I go show up there and they give me this script. He said, okay, so you'll be going in and reading with John. And I get this script and it's like three pages and it's all me. And I'm just like, holy shit. So I start like trying to memorize. Right. And I'm r- desperately trying to learn this because I'm like, you know, this is what I do and this is, I'm an actor. And then about a few minutes later, she comes in, the girl comes in and she says, uh, what are you doing? And, I, and she says, oh, they're ready to see you. And I said, oh, can I have a couple more minutes because I'm just trying to get this memorized. And she said, oh, no, you don't need to memorize it. There's a teleprompter. And at that point, I was just like, oh, a teleprompter. This is, what I got it. And I threw, I just threw the script over my shoulder, marched in. Caution to the wind. <laughs> like I was yeah. like, threw my scarf over my left shoulder. Yes. And proceeded to just do my best Stephen Colbert impression. 
John Slattery of Mad Men fame was one of those incredibly handsome actors who turned gray really young. Mostly that has worked for him and been his calling card, but on the rare occasion where that wasn't appropriate, his agents would ask him to do something about his hair. Listen up as you hear one of the most hilarious audition stories you will ever hear from John Slattery. I have a story All right. that is an audition story, if that's what you want. I, I have the I best. I hadn't lived here very long. I was I was staying at my sister's apartment on the Upper East Side and because um, I didn't have any money to you know, pay my own rent. And she was, I, I was sort of living, out, I was out at night and she was up early in the morning. So she had gone off to work and I got a call from my manager and he said, there's a Sylvester Stallone movie that they want to read you for, but you're too Irish looking. I'm worried about this and I want you to dye your hair. So I, I said, okay, what colors? What? And he goes black dummy. So I said, okay. And he goes, go down to the drugstore and get one of those things and dye your hair. The auditions in an hour and 20 minutes. It's, it's a, it's like July 13th. It's 400 degrees. It's Manhattan. You know, it's horrible, humid summer day in Manhattan. I go down to the Dwayne Reed or whatever it was, get the stuff, come back. And I, and I, Notice that some guys digging a trench in the street out in front of her apartment and um, go in upstairs, uh, put the shit in my hair, which is, you know, like black syrup. If, and, and, you know, if you ever see this stuff and, and they, and you put it in there and you're supposed to leave it in there for a while. And you have these little gloves that, mm-hmm. that are the size of a small woman's hand. Right. And those and your you put proctologist them, yeah, gloves. You put them on little, yeah, tiny little plastic gloves that you put on, and they tear. And so you've got this shit all over your hands. And then you're supposed to. There's a little plastic bonnet that you put on. <laughs> and I remember this because my mother used to dye her own hair back in the day, you know, at home, and she'd walk around with this plastic little little cap on, little see-through thing. So I had that on for the requisite time, and I'm looking, you know, learning my lines and and I'm being nervous because right. you know they didn't. I didn't have beta blockers then, so no. I was just a nervous idiot with, with this shit in my hair and this little plastic cap on my head. And then I like you know, ten minutes goes by, whatever, and then I okay, time to get this stuff off. And I turn the water on, and the water goes go 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 go. You know the that noise where there's no water in the pipes, and I was like. The, what? And I realized it's the guys in the street. They 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 shut the water off because they're digging a trench in the street. And so I run <laughs> to the other end of the apartment, throw the window open, and I'm like, you know, sh- shirtless with this plastic hood on my head and this shit rolling down my ears. I'm like, uh, hey fellas, uh, when can I expect to have the water Young turned man. back on? And they're like, tomorrow, Agnes. And <laughs> and I and I was like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, oh shit, what am I gonna do? And there's no water, so I so I, I go into the refrigerator, and um, first of all, I'm thinking I stick my head in the toilet, and I wasn't that desperate, right? And I, uh, and I thought, oh, I got uh, uh, there's gonna be water, maybe there's water in the fridge or something. So there was there was like a you know a plastic bottle of water. I take off all my clothes, I pour the water on myself in the bathtub, and now it's just thinned this stuff out enough so that it's all over my body. And it's still, you know, it's still like paste in my hair. <laughs> and as I get out of the thing, go back and there's a joggers bottle of water. So I squirt that on my, and then, and then I like a bottle of seltzer. And then I have enough, and I go, and I'm like, hey, this isn't going to work. I go, my sister's laundry quarters is all, there's like a little cup full. 
put on my clothes, run down to that store, get a couple bottles of water, come back in and, you know, little liter bottles of Evian and get back in the tub, get this stuff just off of my head area. I don't care if it was all over my body. I was just going to put on long sleeves and button the shirt all the way up. In July. In In July, July. of course. So I do that and I get it just off. I'm standing in the tub looking over the, by the sink because, you know, the mirror above the sink so that I can just see myself enough to know that I don't have it on my head. So I get it off of my head, but it's still my, it's still literally (laughs) dripping down my sides, the sides of my head. And I go to the audition and the audition, if I could only remember this casting director's name, she was crazy and she would get into it. She was literally like, and it was, the scene was Sylvester Stallone's (laughs) brother. Okay. Who was the, the, the sort of ne'er-do-well brother, the, he, Sly is always having to get out of a jam. This jam was that I had borrowed some money from some loan shark or something, and this guy was going to publicly humiliate me by making me give him a... <laughs> make me give him a... <laughs> what doesn't so, kill us makes us stronger. Right, right. So, I, so I'm, I'm doing this scene for the casting director and and, I don't know, some other people... And uh, I got this shit r- dripping down the sides of my head. I'm literally like, I got like a nervous tick, like <laughs> keep wiping my ears and my side, my and 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 this woman is playing the part of the gangster, and I'm and she's coming around the desk, and she's standing in front of me, and I'm dropped to my knees, like no, Char- don't make me do it, Charlie, don't make or whatever, and she's going. I'm going to, you're going to do it. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever the lines were. And I, and I, I remember having a distinct out of body experience. I, I flew up to the corner of the, of the room and I looked down on myself, you know, holding the script, wiping the thick, the shit off of my hair and my, my ears. This woman <laughs> pretending to be a gangster telling me to give her a, <laughs> And I, and I was just like, wow, this is a, what a weird day. That's all I could think. I was like, this is, this is, this is very weird. And, uh, and then, and then I got up and left and I, uh, I did not get the part. What was they the, never made the movie. What was the feedback? <laughs> the movie was, it, it, I mean, the feedback was uh, that I was too Irish. Literally. That was the, like, they, they, they it went well. They they were like, it went pretty well. They just, they don't believe that you're going to be Sylvester Stallone's brother. And that movie turned out to be. Rocky Three. <laughs> Jimmy, head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, steaming, flaxen, waxen. Give me down the fair hair. Connie Shulman's an old friend of mine. We were in acting class together in New York City when we were both starting out. Decided after she had kids that she was going to take a hiatus from her career. And she raised her kids. And when her son was around 15 years old, she decided she wanted to dip her toe again in the water of acting. And she went through her Rolodex, and I believe it was still a Rolodex. That's how long it had been since she had acted, and found the number of an agent that she had worked with before she had kids and said, hey, I I want to try this again. So her first or second audition was for a little show called Orange is the New Black, And all she knew was that she was auditioning for a character who was called Yoga Jones and was a yoga instructor. So here's Connie telling the story of how she ended up as Yoga Jones on Orange is the New Black. The animals, the animals, trap, 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 till the 
cages full And everyone is waiting, waiting on you And you've got time You called me a couple of years ago and you're like, you know what, I think I want to try this again. And I was like, oh, that's adorable. Connie wants to dip her toe back in the water. Maybe she'll get a voiceover for, you know, Clearasil. <laughs> and the next thing I know, it's like, Connie Shulman is the new star of Orange is the New Black. Can you tell me about the audition process for Yoga Jones and how this right. came together? Well, um, okay, so it had been a really long time since I had auditioned for anything. And my kids were starting to become actors, and I was taking them on some things. And I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if there's anybody out there that remembers me. You know, so I was trying to dig up an agent did you go door to door like, hi, can I have like, a Jehovah's it was Witness? It was, it was almost remember? like, that. can I leave some information? It was, it was seriously looking through like a Rolodex. I think mm-hmm. we actually had one. And I'm looking through there and <laughs> the I had like, I'm like, I have an old friend who now sort of worked his way up, now runs his own agency. So I, you know, I did the thing where I called him. I said, I want to pick your brain. I go to lunch. I basically begged him to sort of just keep an eye out for something that might be right for you. You know, he said, look, Connie, headshots are now in color. You might want to update. Everything's done online. What? You know, it was sort of like he was bringing me up 15 years into technology because I had like, you're like Brie Larson. You'd been in a room. You'd been in a (laughs) I was in the crib with my son, Ephraim, for 15 years. So then he sort of updated me. I pestered him for about two months. He said, what's going on? It was the second audition I had. He said, here, something's come in. It's a yoga teacher. Netflix is had just started Netflix what they were doing. is on your computer. He explained to you what Netflix was. He was so, you know, Netflix right. to us was getting the movies in the mail. Right. And never finding them or turning them back in. And so... You know, he sort of explained to me what that was. And then I went in for this yoga teacher. And what I remember was that the sides were remarkable. Uh It was beautiful writing. Like Uh you knew right away. I mean, even I knew that after not having auditioned for a long time. Having not read for 15 years. I mean, you know, some Dr. Seuss maybe. But this was like, yeah, on the par with him. So I go in there and there are, you know, 25, 30 women all different types, Mm. all wearing their version of what a yoga outfit was. And went in there, read with the the casting person, and that was it. And I I remember I'd gone out to lunch with with my friend, who was the agent, and he had forgotten his phone, and he was really distracted the entire lunch. And as soon as we left, I went home. He called. He said, I've found my phone. They want you for that part. There was no callback. There was no nothing. That was it. I kind of freaked out because I think I thought I wanted to go back and, and test this out. But right. I wasn't expecting to get anything. But it was shot in New York and it all seemed doable. The thing that was really funny was I go to the wardrobe fitting and the woman's pulling out all these like sort of beige, horrible sweatpants and um. And I had gone there thinking, you know, Lululemon, perhaps, 
Exactly. How cute am I going to look? Maybe Kate Hudson's new line of yoga exactly. wear would be adorable. Like, how good am I going to look right. on this show? Not only my back. But I'm coming I'm the back yoga in a bit, instructor. Coming back in a big way. And yeah. I was like, why are you I was like, Oh, I was thinking something tighter. <laughs> and she's like, Well, you're you're an inmate. I'm sorry. And I'm like, No, no, I'm the yoga teacher. I come, I teach yoga, I leave. They're like, No, you don't leave. Like I had not read anything. So I was under the impression I came and went. It wasn't until the wardrobe fitting that I somebody that told you understood. me that I was actually in prison. <laughs> Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Mary Stuart Masterson, 80s icon, tells us in her interview about how really she got her first acting part. Her dad was well-known already for having written the musical The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. She lived in New York City surrounded by a lot of artists. Her mom was an actress too. And so one day there was a knock on the door and the director of The Stepford Wives, the film that her dad was going to be in, appeared at the door while her dad was indisposed. And this is the tale of how Mary Stewart got her first job as a kid. My husband spins fantasies As the story goes, you were homesick from school when your dad was filming The Stepford Wives. Yeah, my dad was actually working the director. They were going to sort of work on the script because my father was in that movie. He was the lead actor who puts Catherine Ross into a robotic state. Right. Um, And so he he was having a meeting with the director, but I was home from school. And uh, my father was in the bathroom. And so I received the director. I opened the door. I invited him in. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. Right. And I offered him a gin and tonic. Of course he did. Because that's how the <laughs> and Mastersons was, you know, do it. I was seven. And right. uh, I think he was hilarious. Um, I don't know. I guess he thought that was a good thing in or I, pre- precocious at least. Right. So apparently that was your audition. So that was my audition. That was my audition, I guess. So yeah. you did crafts. So you basically made drinks and played this little girl on I the I got film. him drunk. I <laughs> sat him down on the couch. Like the op- reverse casting couch. Yes. And then I told him, <laughs> and then I said, my dad, and then I yelled, Dad, get out of the bathroom. Right. Really Which I'm sure didn't embarrass polite. him at all. No, no. I said, he's indisposed. <laughs> he's indisposed. Would you like more lime? <laughs> Hilarious. And, and, they needed a kid, and there you were. I Perfect. don't remember if he actually had me make the gin and tonic. I just remember offering it to him. Either way, you got the job. Yeah, I got the job. It was a very bizarre mixed blessing, too, because I remember at the time feeling very conflicted about it because I was the middle child, and right. I felt like if I said – my parents gave me the option because it was going to be during the summer. Right. And they said, you have to decide whether you want to do this or not. And I have like two lines in the movie, right. so it's not like a lead. It's not like right. a Haley Joel Osment okay. moment. I okay. didn't have any talent. You didn't I was see a to- dead people. It no. didn't center on your character. I was a total story. stiff as okay. an actress, totally uncomfortable in front of the camera. That's the truth. <laughs> okay. um, but there I was with this freighted with this decision of what to do, and um, my parents said, "Just well, we're going out to dinner tonight. Just leave a note on our bed when you decide what to do." <laughs> and I wrote a smiley face with dollar signs for eyes because I felt like if I said it was about I have to do it because of the money, right? that was okay. Right. Like you're going to help your family I'm, buy I'm more gonna, gin. <laughs> I'm going to keep the gin and tonic. <laughs> gin budget. Right. Um, so I don't know that I felt like really bad. Like if I get it 
and and you know my sister doesn't get it or my brother was too little but like right. that's not fair so why me why am why I me? being chosen yeah, yeah. and really it was just a random thing right. in all honesty but um so i remember feeling really weirdly guilty and strange about it but i said yes <laughs> right you wanted those dollar I eyeballs wanted those big dollars those big bucks <laughs> sure i'm sure that was a whopping Three hundred dollars a day. Oh yeah. Money makes the world go around. The world go around. The world go around. Money makes the world go around. It makes the world go round. So Brian Greenberg of One Tree Hill fame was up for one of his first movies called The Perfect Score, and it's a real testament how sometimes an agent or a manager can get us in the door again when it doesn't go as we had hoped the first time. And in this anecdote. Brian tells the story of how he was cast in The Perfect Score. I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. All I have to do is think of me and I peace of mind. I went and auditioned for The Perfect Score to play like the best friend role and... Uh, I didn't go very well because I'm not the strongest auditioner. You're not a great best friend. <laughs> I'm a good best friend. I'm just bad at showing it in a two-minute audition. And and then Ellen was uh, friendly with the casting director, Kathy Sandrich, and she said, you got to see Brian. She's like, well, he wasn't funny. She's like, he's funny. He can right. do it. Give him another so shot. So she, she, she fought for me to do another shot. That's I went so in there nice. and I nailed it. That's right? amazing. And so, did you know it at the time? Yeah, like- I was improving. I was doing it. I was just having fun with it. And then they wanted to test this actor, Emil Hirsch, who's a great actor, but for, for the lead role. But he looked really young. So Paramount wanted to test him. And so this was like the, this is the only time I've ever done this, where they hired, I got a call that like, they want to hire you for the day to play opposite Emil Hirsch. And you don't have the role. They're just they're gonna pay you like eight hundred dollars, which is to me my rent. Already like, a win. This is awesome. Yeah. That's um, a good bottle of wine. You, you you get to you get to do those scenes with another actor, but they're testing the other actor. It's not about you. I was like, okay. That's so, so strange. Yeah, it was well, it was like a real old Hollywood yeah. kind of test, you know? And hair and makeup. Hair and, and makeup wardrobe. wardrobe. We did it on the lot of Paramount. And to me it was like no pressure because it wasn't really about me. That's amazing. So I Did Emil seem nervous? He was, well, he was great. You know, the problem with Emil was it wasn't his his talent. I think he just looked so young. So he didn't get it. He did not get it because he just looked. So, I mean, they tried to put a, like a black leather jacket on him. He just looked too young. They're doing that the weird like baby powder in his hair. <laughs> We're gray him up a little bit. But yeah, so it was a get for me. And um, like they show the test. They're like, ah, oh, he looks too young, I think. Emil looks too young. But Brian works in that role. And so I kind of like That's snuck awesome. in, you know, That's the back awesome. door yeah. and got it. And then, you know, Chris Evans ended up getting that role. But the the writer of that uh, movie is, was Mark Schwann, and he cr- went on to create One Tree Hill. And he and we had a really good working relationship. And he said, "I got a role for you." Don't ask me who I am. Don't ask me where I stand. Don't ask me what's my plan. We all know Matthew Broderick from Ferris Bueller fame. But what you didn't know is that Matthew almost passed on that iconic part that has been making people happy for decades. So in this story, Matthew tells us how he almost didn't do Ferris Bueller's Day Off and why. Here's Matthew. I have a secret desire hiding deep in my soul. 
It sets my heart afire to see me in this role. Did you audition for that movie, or did they just hand... Well, no, how did you get that movie? That was a great job to get. They just sent it to me. I was doing uh, the play of Biloxi Blues, and, you know, war games had come out. I just was sent it, and I didn't... And I'm still a little like this. I was like, John Hughes, which one is John Hughes? Right. You know, the idiot. Secret, and, right, which one? <laughs> you know, what's well, 16 Candles same. again? Oh, all right. And I rented 16 Candles and Breakfast Club and watched them. And I was like, oh, well, look at that. And then I read the script. And I thought, oh, this is kind of great. And I thought, at that time, every play I did, I seemed to talk to the audience. And even this movies, I would somehow they would say, talk to the audience. And then the, the script came. I was like, am I going to be somebody who just always... Who am I, Bob Hope? So I had a little moment of, is this a good existential idea? existential crisis yeah. about it. And then, but then my agent at the time, I remember Flute, and he was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> when he heard like, me hesitate, he was like, he, took uh, he somehow transported. Yeah, it's like he suddenly was standing behind me. I was still on the phone. And he was like, I just thought I'd come uh, so we could talk about this. And uh, I was not going to not do that movie. So well, Guess what? Uh, said, he okay. was right. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our compilation of American audition horror stories. So glad to be back with you. I've missed you terribly. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little-known facts that now you know. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.